This is WCNY's The Capital Press Room, and we're turning our attention to the world of virtual currencies and the state's effort to regulate this evolving financial landscape. To do that, we're joined by John Olson, the former head of the New York office for the Blockchain Association, and now the co-chair of the Emerging Technologies and Innovation Practice for Statewide Public Affairs, a New York State-based lobbying firm. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Dave. So from a 10,000-foot view, and we'll get more granular, how would you describe the approach of state regulators, specifically uh, from the Department of Financial Services, toward the virtual currency industry? Do you feel like they approach them with kid gloves? Are they coming at them tough? Do they look to strike some sort of balance? You know, How should we think about it? I think tough is fair. There is a general eye for consumer protection, and it's an incredibly volatile market. You know, we're, we're dealing with an asset class that doesn't really have an equivalent at this point. You know, it, it's completely virtual and it's based on, you know, a lot of math and, and coding. Uh, so it's at this point still highly speculative, except for some exceptions. And I think the regulator has taken the approach that it's better to overregulate than underregulate. Um, New York is definitely a gold standard when it comes to regulation in this space. Uh, And you are seeing in the last few years that other states have started to take a similar approach. You know, we we recently had a very similar licensing regime pass in California, and now that will be, you know, subject of regulation for, you know, the equivalent of DFS out there. And is New York's regulators, are they on an island when it comes to regulating cryptocurrencies, or is there some sort of oversight at the federal level as well? There is oversight at the federal level, but it is derived from existing agencies and based on existing law, mostly around securities law. So it is subject to the interpretation of the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Consumer Financial Protection Agency, and they are essentially saying we're still not sure what some of this stuff is. We have a good idea what Bitcoin is. We have a good idea what Ethereum is. But there are a lot of other coins and tokens out there. So they're kind of taking this approach where it's like, we think you're doing something wrong, but we're not going to tell you what it is. So you basically should just either stop doing it or face the consequences. Uh, So that's kind of been the approach at the federal level. Here in New York, we've had this licensing regime in place for almost 10 years now. It started in 2015, and it's significantly evolved as the market has evolved. And now that, you know, Superintendent Harris has been at the helm for a couple of years, she's really taken this approach of like, you know, we don't want to inhibit it completely, but we've seen enough out there, and there are perfect examples, that we want to be pretty stringent. So there are significant requirements uh, to becoming a licensed entity here in New York. And it is kind of just, you know, creating, I wouldn't say an island, but it is creating a standard that, you know, perhaps the federal government might be paying more attention to. Well, yeah, for about eight years now, the state has had the authority to issue these so-called bit licenses. And I've heard from some in the industry that they're concerned that the state is a little too slow uh, to issue these licenses. What's your sense of the speed of that process? I think traditionally it was slow. You know, there was a significant backlog, but I think that was really subject to personnel. In the last few years, you've seen Superintendent Harris hire a lot more people. She's implemented this assessment 
program essentially on par with banks and insurance entities where they are collecting quarterly assessments from virtual currency entities, which allows them the ability to monitor these licensed entities on a more regular basis. So she's taken steps to really legitimize the industry as far as oversight and regulation. But what comes with that is a lot of paperwork and due diligence and making sure that you are following, you know, Bank Safety Act, you know, any money laundering. So it's incredibly complex and comprehensive. But once you achieve that status, you kind of are above a lot of other entities. Well, the Department of Financial Services mission, though, is not just about putting in those guardrails that we've been talking about. It seems like they also have this mandate to promote economic growth. So do you think they're hitting both of those targets when it comes to the crypto space? I think it's definitely a work in progress. I think you're going to see an increase in the number of licensed entities because they are eliminating some of the backlog of, of current applications. And I think when you, you know, have enough personnel and enough examiners, you know, eventually there will be more interest, I think, in applying. But you do have new guidance that kind of creates even higher standards. So, you know, you really do have to have your, your I's dotted and your T's crossed if you want to do business in New York. Well, I want to talk about that new guidance, but first, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. This is the Capital Press Room, and we're speaking with John Olson, the co-chair of the Emerging Technologies and Innovation Practice for Statewide Public Affairs. Uh, so this fall, the State Department of Financial Services issued uh, guidelines impacting listing and delisting of cryptocurrencies that they uh, say strengthen protections for crypto investors. What do you think they mean for the industry? Uh, well, I... I think it's a good sign for one, you know, it's an acknowledgement that crypto is here for good, that the trading and purchasing of digital assets is legitimate business. But as I, you know, spoke about earlier, it's still pretty volatile as terms of market. So in the interest of protecting New York consumers, the guidance has changed as far as what a VC entity, a virtual currency entity that's licensed, is allowed to do when it comes to listing and delisting certain coins. Before, it was kind of this process called self-certification, where it was essentially that if you became a bit licensee and you had asked for prior approval from DFS, you were allowed to self-certify any number of coins. DFS itself had what was known as the green list, which was essentially a list of all approved coins from DFS that could be listed on an exchange. A couple months ago, that list was significantly pared down to Bitcoin, Ether, and a handful of stable coins, which are you know fiat-backed, one-to-one digital currency. So now what you have is a process where VC entities are going to have to create a listing policy and a delisting policy. And they're going to have to have a governance board that is separate from the original decision makers about a coin that oversees this policy and regularly does its due diligence on specific coins to make sure that you know certain levels of risk are not associated with it. Um, what the new guidance also does is prohibits certain coins that exhibit certain characteristics from being listed at all. 
So, you know, and essentially it's what's saying is like what we thought were okay, you know, coins and tokens, we still, we have some reservations about now. So we're basically going to bring it back to scale and say, bring us a policy that, you know, we can be comfortable with where you're doing your due diligence on KYC, like everything that comes with, you know, protecting consumers. And we'll say, okay, now you're, you're good to go as far as self-certification again. We need we need to have approval of this, and if you are going to, for whatever reason, delist a coin, you need to be upfront about it, transparent with public, so the consumers know, give them advance notice, and give us notice. So that's what's kind of going on. It's just you know it's creating further protections, but it's also creating more work, more or less, for the entities. One of the critiques about financial regulators more broadly when it comes to their work is that they're always fighting the last war. Do you feel like in this space that the Department of Financial Services is creating regulations that govern both the world we live in and the world that is going to be dominating the virtual currency space five, ten years from now? Or are they playing catch-up, so to speak? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't think they're playing catch-up. I think they're farther ahead, obviously, than... Federal officials, at the very least. Well, sure. I mean, (laughs) you know, credit where it's due. New York usually gets ahead of some things because a lot of what requires legislation is just gets stuck, you know. Mm. But, you know, this is a space where the technology is very exciting and the potential for its uses is almost limitless. Uh, But right now what you have are just one kind of example of what blockchain technology can be used for, which is the creation of cryptocurrency or tokens that are, you know, layered onto the blockchains of Ethereum and and others. So I don't think they're behind. I I think the bit license was kind of revolutionary when it was first introduced um, and has slowly, you know, I think the animosity towards it is dissipating because what we're seeing play out, especially in the last few years, is that even those companies that were supposedly, you know, risk-free or whatnot have have proven to still provide some kind of risk or have some association with, you know, illicit finance. So in the interest of, of protecting New York, New York is kind of advanced you know, a proposal that and a model that could be adopted elsewhere. Well, finally, for listeners who have been hearing this conversation and their only familiarity with cryptocurrency is maybe references to Bitcoin or they saw some of the Super Bowl ads for companies <laughs> that may or may not yeah. exist still, um, what would your message to them be about why they should care about this space at all? And I guess what you see as the benefit to everyday New Yorkers yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the underlying technology has a lot of applications for, you know, the storage and portability of specific data sets. So, you know, we're talking like health records, title, things that right now create a lot of, you know, clutter for specific state agencies, for localities. Um, and then the idea of, tokenizing and monetizing that kind of data 
you know, your personal data is something that I think is worth exploring through this technology. On the crypto side, you know, the barrier to entry for financial speculation, for wealth creation, is significantly lower through here. The risk is higher, obviously, and you have to be well-educated about what you're buying into, what you're investing. But, you know, you don't need a middleman. You don't need a bank. You, if you have a dollar and a dream, you can invest, right? There's, there's certain coins out there that are worth thousands of a cent, but could be worth any number of thousands in the future. I mean, Bitcoin start at almost zero. Look where it is today. So it's, you know, kind of that promise of smart investing and more democratic investing that I think is attractive to folks. Um, but, you, you know, you have to be educated about this. You have to really understand what you're getting into. And I think through the technological side and also the, you know, the financial side, it does open a lot more doors that were otherwise closed. So far, though, has there been a real democratization of the economic opportunities when it comes to these crypto markets? Or are there still just a handful of people and industries and businesses that are actually able to make money off these financial trades? Yeah, I mean, on the financial trading side, you know, the arbitrage, that I think is being controlled by much larger entities. But tokenization, you know, the, the creation of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, digital art, um, there's new classes of assets and new classes of artists uh, and developers who are working with existing blockchains, with existing technology to create something new and something that has value. And whenever something is assigned value, people will probably flock to it. So on the trading side, I think we've only just kind of scratched the surface of what this kind of cryptographic technology is capable of as far as creating wealth and storing wealth and financially transacting. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with John Olson. He is the co-chair of the Emerging Technologies and Innovation Practice for Statewide Public Affairs. John, thank you so much for making the time. It's a pleasure, Dave. Thank you. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.